Lord. We think about the biblical imperative to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, and we sing a song like that. How exactly do we exalt him? Is it by singing more robustly? Is it singing heartily? Is it singing it longer? I think maybe those could be included, but I believe that the genuineness of our worship is, do we really exalt him? Do we have a view of the Lord that is accurate and complete? A view of him that enables our heart to exalt him accurately. I'm hoping that after today's message that you and I will both be presented with and challenged by some new source material by which we would exalt the Lord because we have seen him more clearly. Think about this for just a moment. Have you ever um, had someone to come up to you and congratulate you for something that you did not do? or speak heartily to you but did not know your name. You just don't know where to put the compliment. It's like, what, is that for me? Well, I believe that one of the great appeals of Scripture to worship him in spirit and in truth is that we would accurately know him and to know what he has done so that when we exalt him, it is coming from a place of truth. Um, and even if our first encounters with the Lord are not necessarily through having read about him in the scriptures. We, we have had an experience with him and we say, Lord, we want to exalt you based on that. I would pray that even as you are exalting the Lord, that you are taking those experiences and resting them against the exposition of scripture so that you know that what you're worshiping the Lord for was really his work. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we do exalt you. And um, both of these services are yours the 9.30 and the 11. Glorify yourself in each one as you see fit. The 9.30 is done. We'll never see that particular service again. Lord God, as we stand on the, on the threshold of the 11, there's something that you desire to do, something that you desire to do in history, something that you desire to do in our own personal lives, something that you want done when we leave here. Lord God, would you fill us up? Would you open our eyes so we can see you more clearly, see your son more clearly? Lord God, would you load us up with a fresh appreciation of the gospel? Fill our hearts with it. Would you give us, Lord God, a more complete understanding of our world around you? Would you give us windows through which to see our world and mirrors through which to see ourselves as a result of today's message? Would you help us to put some handlebars on this very busy and chaotic thing called life? Lord God, would you, would you warm us where we are cold? Would you draw us near where we feel distant? Would you heal us where we are hurting? Would you humble us where we are proud? Would you lift us up where we are downtrodden? Lord God, would you just do whatever it is that you want to do in this gathering collectively and what you want to do in our lives individually? May we know we have been with you because we experience a personal move of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, would you please do that in our midst for your glory and for the good and edification of your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're visiting with us, you are stepping into the second installment on a series uh, that's part of our kind of Christmas uh, series where we're celebrating the kingship of Jesus Christ. We've been looking at his life through the lens of the book of Matthew, and we're going to continue in that vein by looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you've been around the church for any period of time, nothing new uh, will meet your eyes when you look at this text, but I'm hoping that something 
fresh would meet our hearts and uh, in what we hear and what we preach. The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, that's kind of like our word for like engaged, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said in a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph waked from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, and he did not know her. That is, they did not come together conjugally, con conjugally right? He did not know her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I hope you can bear with me for over the next few minutes. As you can see that I am losing my voice. I gave about a good 60% of it, I believe, to the 930, and hopefully this 40% will be enough for us to make it through the text today. So if it sounds like I'm screaming, no, I'm squeaking, right, as uh, the, the voice is leaving me. Um, the title of today's message is Pardon Me. It is Pardon Me. And you'll have to pardon me, right, with these little squeaks and interruptions in my voice. But you know what pardon me is, right? It's a phrase that we use in common speak to kind of massage out the rough edges of what might be considered to be an interruption. Have you ever walked up to or inside of maybe a, a favorite department store and there'll be a little sign over a dusty section that says, pardon our dust as we are kind of remodeling and trying to create a better experience for you? Right? He's like, oh, okay, I like that. Have you ever um, maybe been grocery shopping? And as you were laser focused on pulling all the items off the shelves that are on your list, someone uh, walked up to you and says, oh, excuse me, pardon me, but are those your coupons or your driver's license, your ATM card that you, you dropped on the ground? Interruptions, pardon me, it's just a nice way. Maybe have you and a group of great friends who couldn't wait to get out of a church service and have lunch together. You're, you're all sitting around a table and you're, you know, you're kind of yucking it up and doing your thing. And the, and the server comes over and says, oh, pardon me, are you guys ready to place your order, right? We've all experienced some of these what would be rude interruptions, but actually they are welcome interruptions. We in our subdivision just a couple of months ago experienced uh, driving in one day and we were met by these bright orange and obnoxious signs telling us that on certain days we would not be able to park on the street and we wouldn't be able to do this or that in our neighborhood because there was going to be some construction taking place. But the beautiful thing was after the paving was complete, it was the most beautifully and smoothly paved streets we'd ever, we'd ever seen. Like Karen and I were like, man, we should get some skates and just, I mean, and just enjoy this fully. But we've all been in environments where pardon me's or certain interruptions were a part of our life. But interruptions are very much a part of the human experience, but not all of them in the moment have um, this neatly packaged, awesome conclusion that I just shared with you. Sometimes it takes a little bit of a time to experience the beauty of an interruption. I remember when we as Gospel Hope Church first began a little over five years ago, um, we took residence in Avondale Elementary School just behind us. 
And within a very few short weeks, I believe it was three weeks, we were uh, met by the school's administration letting us know that the county was doing uh, some infrastructure or, or uh, upgrades and we would have to get out of the auditorium. And here we are, interrupted. Two things happened after we were interrupted. We both hit the street and we hit our knees. Hit our knees to ask for the Lord to give us a solution because here we are, a brand new church. We can't afford to lose momentum by not having a place to worship. But we also hit the street. We started knocking on doors. And interestingly enough, in both of those moments, God answered. And it was a beautiful thing what he did with this interruption of our service. Number one, as we hit our knees, the Lord did open another door for us, and we began worshiping for the next few years. Some of you may have met us there at the Belvedere Seventh-day Adventist facility. But something else happened during that interruption as well, which I found to be interesting. I may need a cup of water before this is over. Uh, something else happened, and that was I came here and actually knocked on the door, not looking for what is happening today, but actually looking for a landlord opportunity, and, and, and Pastor Eddie, who preached to you just a couple of weeks ago, answered the door. It's my first time meeting him. Well, my plan with Pastor Eddie was I was going to make a, a genuine salesman appeal. You know, how would you, as a large church, love to provide safe haven to a new and emerging ministry in your community? My name's Rod, by the way, right? I came, I, I had a plan that I was going to enter in, I was going to broker a landlord-lessee relationship. But what the Lord actually did was said no to that, but later on, Eddie and I would become co-laborers in the same ministry. We did not know that this was going to happen at that time, but it was all part of God's plan. And so what we notice is that there are, throughout life, many different interruptions. Let me give you one more that is of quite historic uh, implications. A man by the name of Sir Alexander Fleming. Does anybody recognize that name? Sir Alexander Fleming. Yeah, some smart folks are nodding. In 1928, he was doing some laboratory research on the flu virus. And while doing that research, um, he went away. His time of research was interrupted by a two-week vacation. And when he came back, he noticed that in one of the dishes where he had been researching that a mole had begun to grow, and the mole was actually counteracting and working against the flu. What had been discovered during that interruption was what we now know as penicillin, all because of an interruption in his work. Isn't that amazing? This is 1928, which means that penicillin was ready for mass production and was able to, thank you, brother, penicillin was ready for mass production and able to actually save thousands of lives in World War II as soldiers who might have otherwise been subject to amputations and other illnesses and all kinds of things that we use to, 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 we use to fight uh, penicillin with. Unbelievable, but somewhat seemingly by an interruption to his original research gave way to this discovery. So I believe that there are interruptions that are not just of historic proportions or people finding their debit cards and ATM cards when they're grocery shopping. I believe that there are divine interruptions that we should all learn to appreciate. And today's text, I believe, is painting for us a picture of how God interrupts the human situation in the most beautiful ways that we should all learn and grow to appreciate. The title of today's message again is Pardon Me. Because I believe that God does that. I believe he elbows his way into the human situation in multiple moments, and we need to learn to appreciate them. Well, how exactly, Pastor Rod, do we learn to appreciate these interruptions into our lives? Well, if you take a look at verse 18, I believe you get one of the first clues. 
Verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way, that when Mary, who was engaged to Joseph, uh, she was engaged, right? She finds out that she's with child. Now for the contemporary audience, that may not seem like that big of a deal. But during Mary's day, to be a young woman in the first century who was to be found with child prior to one getting married, and the person to whom you're supposed to be married is not the father, that was a big deal. Not only was it a big deal, because it gave Joseph license, legal license, to put her away. And a young woman who had been put away for this kind of indiscretion would have historically been considered damaged goods in the community likely never to be married again. And in that dubious situation, she would either have died without a husband or have maybe delved into a life of prostitution after her parents had deceased in order for her to make her way in life. Trust me, when Mary found out that she was with child, she was not going like, oh, well, okay. It was a serious situation for her. But you had better believe that when Joseph found out that he was also equally perplexed, but for different reasons, but not just perplexed, maybe even perturbed. Here is Mary, this young woman with whom he wants to be married, and she's telling him that the child that is in her, I promise you, haven't been with anybody else. How does that sound? This has never happened before in history. And I believe one of the first principles that would help us learn to appreciate and welcome the Lord's interruption to our life is this, that God has a plan that is different from ours, but it is definitely better. God often has plans that are different from ours, but definitively better than ours. Man, think about it. Just let that wash over you and think about some of your own personal moments. I'll share with you some of mine. Career choice. In the fifth grade, I asked my grandmother, what do little boys who think like me do? She said, all of them become engineers. Go. And thereof I went from the fifth grade until my third year of college on the trajectory to be an engineer because that's what grandma said. And the Lord radically interrupted that trajectory, introduced a man into my life who would later become my mentor, and then the Lord made it very clear that he was calling me to do and be something else. I had not planned on being a preacher, but God did radically interrupted my life. During uh, a separate and a subsequent summer, I had uh, finally uh, owned the fact that God had called me to the preaching ministry, didn't exactly know how that would flesh out, but I had gone into this three-month discipleship program and I had gotten a vacation from the program. It was the first week in August in 1996, the same time that the Olympics had uh, suffered a, a, a bombing. And I was supposed to be here in Georgia on vacation, and I get a phone call from my mentor that says, hey, listen, I made a mistake and double booked myself. I need you to go to one of the locations where I am supposed to be. Which one do you choose? And I'm like, I don't know. You're interrupting my vacation. I don't even care. I go to the place of my choosing, kind of an emotional roll of the dice, and guess who comes waltzing out of the doors when I get there? This woman that would later ask me to be her husband. God has plans that are different from ours, but definitely and definitively better than ours. After we got our lives resettled and began serving in vocational, or serving in ministry, I was serving bivocationally or, or dual vocationally at the time. 
And it was my thought that I would just kind of nestle in at a local church where I had served in my late teens or early, early 20s, and maybe I would just kind of dock right there for a season and wait for my opportunity to become a pastor in that place, join the teaching team and do various things. And the Lord said, no, I actually want you to plant a church. And we're talking about way, 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 pre, 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 gospel hope. That was not in the cards. But he interrupted even my idea and view of what the pastor would look like. Interestingly enough, even as we stand on this stage, I think about some of the moments in which we plan, but things don't necessarily go as we plan, but God's plan tends to be better. So here it is, we find ourselves, we've been praying through as a church family about this merger with First Baptist. We thought in our best laid plans that that thing would be, the books would be cooked and that would be over by now, but the Lord has interrupted that plan, not to stop it, but to push the date out just a wee bit. But look at God, it's awesome. But what happens, at this point, I've been sharing very fortuitous outcomes to God's interruption of our plan. What happens when they don't feel fortuitous? Because in the moment when what we set out to do is being interrupted, it doesn't feel as nice and as neat as these completed stories that I'm sharing. It shakes the foundation of our faith, is what it does because we're doing the best that we can with what we believe we have in front of us, and it shakes our foundation. And how does it shake the foundation of our faith? Well, it causes us to rethink what we believe God is doing in our lives and how we trust him. You had better believe that was happening in the life of Mary and Joseph. These were young, good Jewish people. The scriptures describe him as a just man. It doesn't say anything ill about Mary. You too, when our lives are interrupted, it shakes the foundation of our faith. But the reality is, I don't believe God wants our, uh, the foundation of our faith to be shaken. I think he wants our foundations of our faith to be shaped more accurately. In every interruption, I believe that the Lord wants to reground with fresh foundation, repave, if you will, this road that we've been traveling that charts out how we believe in and trust God. Not only do I believe that he wants to repave faith's, repave faith's foundation, I believe that he also wants to refocus our faith. You see, when our faith is refocused, it brings us to a place of looking out from life to say, Lord, I want to focus on your glory, not just my goals. Faith is not just me saying, this is what I want to accomplish, and I'm going to believe you as hard as I can to Lord God so that you would pull this off. This is my agenda. These are my goals. And interruptions in our lives allow us to appreciate God refocusing all of our agendas onto his glory rather than my goals and my outcomes. I believe all of that is happening in the life of Mary and Joseph. They just set their lives on a course to just be regular, everyday people. Him continuing to maybe expand his carpentry business because that was the family um, occupational identity. And Mary would, you know, do whatever she did during her day. She wasn't signing up to be preached about this morning. She might have even been an introvert. The last thing she wants to do is have Rod mentioning her name in front of hundreds of people. But also these interruptions call us to not only a repaving of faith's foundation and a refocusing of faith's uh, 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 motive, but it also calls us to a place of having greater flexibility in our faith. Where I grow to be flexible, that is, I see his sovereignty as having a premium over my self-determination. Is this biblical at all? I believe so. 
Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 and 12, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and you will pray to me and I will hear you. Trust me when I tell you that Mary would have never enlisted or signed up for this level of service. She did not dream of being this when she was a little Jewish girl. But I can also assure you that not only did she sign up for it or never would she have enlisted herself or volunteered for such a high task and an incredible call. But at the same time, looking back, when she laid her head on her pillow and breathed her last as an older woman, she would in no way look back and erase it. God interrupts our lives, and he does that. He, he brings in adventures that we would have never guessed were our own, but we would never redo it once we see that it's God that's doing it. I would never give Carrie back. Thank you for asking me to marry you. Every day on a regular basis, I have no dreams of being an electrical engineer. I don't look back in a rearview mirror, wringing my hands, wondering what would have been. No, I utterly enjoy the call of God on my life and how he took the brain that I thought was meant for something else and had me to rather than building circuits and computers to have me build messages. I love it. I would have never signed up for this, but looking back, I would never erase it. God has plans that are different from ours, but definitively better than ours. I think there's more here. In verses 19 through 20, the Bible tells us that, and her husband, a little bit more focus on Joseph, and her husband being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, had resolved to divorce her quietly. But just as he was thinking about those things, now remember what the Bible says, he had resolved. He was getting ready to draw up the papers. He had resolved to do this. It says that an angel of the Lord came in and interrupted. says, now, nah, hang on. The child that is within her is of the Holy Spirit. She's not lying. The child is not Jethro's. It's not Judah's. It's not Jesse's. It's not James. It is of the Holy Spirit. It took an angel to interrupt him, right? But what is the Bible telling us? It tells us that God is working within the creation, but yet he is not captive to it. Let me, let me explain. Has anybody in here ever found themselves in a deeply panicking state? Maybe you, were, maybe you were traveling by aircraft and some things were going on in, the, in, the, in your life. You know, you've done everything that you know to do. And it looks like you're going to miss that other flight. Or maybe you've seen other people who do this. As soon as the plane lands, they immediately spring up, open the overhead cabin, yank their bags down, run up to the front trying to get off the plane as quickly as possible. Because they're doing everything that they can. They're applying all of the energy that they can, or you're applying all the energy that you can to not miss that flight. But you know what else? I've seen it happen a million times in all the opportunities that I've flown. Where... There was someone who had a perspective that was broader than those who were inside the aircraft, who were captive and beholden to the aircraft. All they had were certain options. But there was someone else who was not panicking, 
who was an air traffic controller, who had a much broader perspective, who saw when their plane was coming in and the conditions affecting it, knew where to sit it down on what runway, and saw the other one that many of them needed to get to so that they could both hold those flights or expedite this one to let those people get off and make their flight. Why? Because the air traffic controller had broader options, therefore he had better options and less anxiety. I believe that in our lives, much, in a much infinitely uh, a greater way, that God sees broader and better options, but he is not captive to the world in which we only see a limited amount of options. Think about and sympathize with Joseph's situation and even your own situation. All you can do is what you can do. And in so many different moments in life, yes, all you can do is just yank your bags from the overhead compartment and run to the front of the plane and hope that the kids can run as fast as you and hope that the airport is not also congested. You're doing everything you know to do. That's what Joseph was doing. This, these are the cards that I've been dealt. This is all that I can do. And so I share this not to make you paralyzed in any of your current decision-making processes, but to recognize that God has options that we do not have. Joseph was operating justly, legally, culturally, and even compassionately and ethically in his pursuits to quietly put Mary away. And the Lord says, I got another option. And where do these other options come from? They come from the truth of Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The Lord has got broader, better, and more beautiful solutions. You and I pray this often when we say, our Father, who art in heaven. That isn't just his residence, it's also his perspective. He sits outside of time and above and beyond this creation. And while his wonderful, strong hands reach into it, he is not a captive. He is not a hostage of it. Our options are not his options. And so the Lord works within creation, but he is not captive to it. And I believe that when our hearts sink into that, it reinvigorates the faith to say, okay, Lord, this is what has been dealt to me. I'm going to move forward, but I remain open-handed to you. As a matter of fact, notice what the angel says. As a result of saying to him, listen, the baby that is within her has been conceived of the Holy Spirit. Do not fear to take her as your wife. Why would the Bible say do not fear unless fear was indeed on the emotional menu? You and I both know that if we find ourselves in this situation or other situations, we are often met with fear. What will other people say about me? I've married this woman who's carrying someone else's baby. How will I be able to show up at the carpentry shop again? How will I be able to stand in the gates and be proud like the man at the, in Proverbs 31? I want a woman like that. I don't want somebody coming in here with a baby already. This would be Joseph's contemplations at the times that he was in. He would have been, there would have been a deep fear to do this thing. How would he explain this to his parents? We're told not to fear. Why? Because the truth of the Bible will inform us that even after I have fully planned it before the Lord, I need to remain open-handed. It doesn't mean stop. It doesn't mean pause. It just means that even after I have planned it fully 
to remain open-handed before the Lord. Because sometimes what keeps us from opening our hand before the Lord is, that, is, is, is our plans is that we have a fear of man. In other words, if the Lord calls us to pivot just a bit, we worry about what the opinions are going to be of others who see us change. You'd be amazed at how oftentimes embarrassment or fear of others keep us in very dangerous situations that are below and beneath God's will for our lives because we're afraid of what someone else might think if we make yet another change. Think about that for a moment. I, I, I shared a moment earlier. I mean, do you think we as your pastors want to give any update other than, hey, merge is going to be on XYZ date. But yet when that changes, it's like, ooh, man, are they going to look at us and say, we don't know what we're doing. Oh, these guys haven't got it figured out. Those real fears circulate. Now, again, as I open the medicine cabinet of my, my little bit of life before you, open yours, not before me. We're not going to stand up a mic and ask you to come up here and talk about, you know, one time I had a plan and, you know, and it, you know no, I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I do want you to think carefully about places in life where you feel stuck and, and open. And God has given yet another solution, but that solution isn't the most convenient. That solution is the one that you planned out and you've decided to stick to your guns. And so we should learn to welcome the Lord's interruptions in our lives. Why? Because he has plans that are different from ours, but definitively better than ours. Why? Because the Lord, while he works within creation, he is in no way captive to creation. But there is something else that I want us to see in this text that should give our hearts comfort in welcoming the Lord's interruption, and it's this. Look at the change in tone in verses 21 through 25. The angel tells, tells, David, tells Joseph not to fear to take um, Mary as his wife and then begins in a series of really strong and direct comments. The angel says about Mary, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. And all this is in place to fulfill what the Lord had already spoken in the past. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and, and, and bear a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then it says that when, when, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did what the Lord through the angel commanded him. And this is interesting because I believe we get a glimpse into the, the, what I call the determinate counsel of God or what the, what the King James calls the determinate counsel of God. God is determinate in his counsel, but yet deliberate in his collaboration. I don't know exactly how he pulls it off. But the Bible teaches us that the, that the providence of God is how it is that the Lord is able to work out sovereignly through human events an outcome of his choosing. But at the same time, he does it through human participation. And it's a beautiful thing. And some people are afraid of the determinate counsel of God because they feel like it is damaging to their own personal ambitions and wills. But I would caution you to hear the words of like passages like Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Again, in the old King James, it says this, him, talking about Jesus, was delivered to the cross by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Well, man, what better act of determination than that? Aren't you glad that God was determined to have Jesus be born? and it was a non-negotiable, and that Jesus would save his people from their sins? Aren't you glad for the determinate counsel of God? I am, and I'm also equally glad for this commitment to collaboration. Now, I know the determinate counsel of God can sometimes feel like a, an interruption, an uncomfortable gesture. I experience some of this in my household all the time. 
I'm awakened many mornings from a delicious sleep to the turning on of lights, the clanging of pots, the beeping of the refrigerator that's been left over too long. Too long. And I, went, I, mean, I, I stumble downstairs, what's going on? To find Carrie there, cooking, preparing. I was like, what are you doing, baby? She's like, I'm making breakfast for everyone. And her determination to provide delicious, well-cooked meals for her family immediately melts any interruptions that I may have felt. I would hope that in every one of our lives, when we see what God is cooking up for us, that we would grow to trust. Lord, I don't like this. It's, it's, it's shaking my cage. It's rattling me. It is interrupting me. This is not the course that I had planned, but man, are your interruptions good? And are they sweet? Are they awesome? Are they, are they not fulfilling in our lives? And so God is determinate in his counsel, but he is deliberate in his collaboration. More theologically speaking, this is known as the eminence of God, how it is that he is right there participating in the human situation, but yet from an eternal perspective. But this is also the incarnation where God says, it is not enough that I speak to your issues and your need for a savior from on high. I personally will come and embody and be the solution. Why is the incarnation such a crucial appreciation for the believer and seeing the determinate counsel, the determination of God to save his people played out? Here's why. No one would ever be able to look at the Savior and say, that wasn't for me because he can identify with me. Not so. Jesus has been misunderstood by his own parents. Jesus has been disappointed by his closest fellows. Jesus has watched his close friend die. Jesus has preached his best message and still watched opponents and other people who would otherwise be aligned question his authority and integrity. Jesus has watched the very people for whom he comes to die take up hammers and drive nails into his hands. Do you think Jesus can identify with a little office gossip? Do you think Jesus can, op uh, can identify with you being insulted over political chatter at the upcoming Christmas dinner? Do you think Jesus can appreciate being maligned by his boss? Do you think Jesus knows what it feels like to not even have your own parents appreciate your approach to the faith? Do you think Jesus can identify? The answer is decidedly, yes, he can. And the reason that he can is because he was incarnate. He came into the human situation, into the lowest of socioeconomic stratus, on the other side of favor, Jesus can identify because of the incarnation. God desired, think about this now, scroll back just a little bit earlier in the message. We're not talking about a God who ran out of solutions and he got back into a corner because there weren't any chariots remaining, so he had to choose like mangers. We're talking about the God who has infinite options at his disposal, the very one who can speak the worlds into existence, chooses to come into the world through these humble means. It's intentional on his part. Why is it intentional? 
Because the determinate counsel and deliberate collaboration of God is this. He wants to show that he is both intentional and intimate. He is demanding. He has a high standard, but he is also devoted. He has spoken in history, but he is still speaking according to the scriptures. Long ago and in many times and in many ways, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And then the son came and said he's still speaking through his Holy Spirit. And so God, yeah, he's determined in his counsel, but some kind of way he's figured out how to be deliberate in his collaboration with us. He has made no aspect of salvation contingent upon us, but he still fully allows us to participate. This is a wonder indeed how he pulls it off. Kind of as I get ready to close, I think about the person, you know, in a room today who would never out loud tell anyone that you're an atheist, but perhaps you are a functional atheist. Emotionally and intellectually, you've begun to live life as though there were no God, but the current cultural constraints just make it easier between you and your family just to keep on coming to church, to read a Bible every once in a while, and to keep speaking the language. But you are a functional atheist. You no longer believe in God. Or perhaps you're not that aggressive, that strong with it. Maybe you're an agnostic. There have been numerous interruptions in your life, things that have happened that you would have never signed up for, and you're not saying, God, I don't believe you exist, but I just don't see enough proof points to make me believe in you like I used to. You're a functional agnostic. You never call yourself that. You wouldn't wear the T-shirt. You're too embarrassed. You're not bold enough for that yet. Maybe you're a functional apathetic one, a person who has not given up on God, but man, you just ain't feeling religion right now. Christianity just don't do anything for you. You are apathetic. You don't have any feelings toward it. You are actively annoyed by others around you talking about their praise reports. You don't want anybody praying for you. When you even pray, you don't believe anyone is listening. You'd rather be meditating. You're apathetic toward the faith. Maybe you haven't quite given up yet, but you're in a place of desperate anticipation. Dear God, would you please come through? I'm holding out for you. I want to believe, but my ability to believe is slipping away because my life is regularly being interrupted by things that are beyond my control, and I don't see how a God, the one that is described in the Bible and celebrated on Christmas, could ever let this happen to me because you have yet to surrender the interruptions to him. You know what all those, both the atheist, the agnostic, and even the, the apathetic one, you know what we often say? If God really wanted me to believe, he would just show up and present himself. And do you know what the gospel says? I did. I did show. I came. I came in amongst my own, and they rejected me. And I'm still coming. I, 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 I was, I've been resurrected. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father, but then I sent my Holy Spirit, sent him to live in those who would trust in me, but to also continue to work in the world so that they could have their eyes open by way of conviction of their sin to see how I am interrupting their lives to bring them to their knees and to show them how much they need something bigger than themselves. God is still in the business of speaking. 
and showing and telling who he is and pointing us back to the gospel. The problem is, thank you, Brother Alvin. The problem is, the problem is, the way God shows himself, it is just like in the book of John. He came and they did not receive him. Why? He didn't come the way they wanted him to. He didn't come according to their plan. They wanted the creator to come in a way that was captive to the creation. And so my appeal to us this morning, my appeal to us this morning is to let this season of your life, whether you're anticipating God like nobody's business, you're shouldering and working with all kinds of interruptions, and you're trying to figure out how does this work for the plan of God, I'm just begging you to just, just hand it to him. Lord, make sense out of this. I give up my plan. I loosen my hands to my plan. This is the plan I had for my life. This is the plan I had for this sequence of problems. This is the plan that I had. Lord, I hand it over to you. I hand over my plan and I trust you to do what you want to do. And I recognize that as I say these words, Lord, as I'm trusting you to do whatever you want to do, I recognize you might do something that I would never in a million years sign up for, but once it's done, I know that I would never erase it. Man, can you trust God like that? You may not have it within your wherewithal to do it, and that's why you need God to interrupt your life to do it. Man, we want to celebrate God for his interruptions. You know, Sir Alexander Fleming, when his research was interrupted, he came back, saw something growing that resulted in penicillin. And I believe that God interrupted the life of Mary and Joseph. And he interrupted your life too. However you came to know Jesus, however you came to be in this room, he's interrupting your life, but not that you would discover penicillin, but that you might discover the panacea that he would grow in you appreciation for the, 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 the balm that heals all of our ills, and that's Jesus. I know, I know sometimes faith can seem counterintuitive. It's not illogical when you've got a proper view of who God is. I want to lead us now in a time of, uh, I want to lead us in a time of just kind of giving up and giving over to God. And then we're going to lead into getting ready to celebrate communion. Did everybody in the room get a cup? Everybody who intended to take of communion, did you get one on the way in? If you did not, would you raise your hand? If you did not get a communion cup, I see a couple of hands in the back to my right. Keep those hands up high so that folks can serve you well. I just want to... As we get ready for, for, for communion, I want you to think about this. What exactly are we saying when we take this cup, when we, when we eat this bread and when we drink this, this juice, what are we celebrating? We are saying, Jesus, thank you for interrupting our lives with a better plan. We're saying, Jesus, your plan is definitively and infinitely better than my plan. You're saying, thank you for interrupting my life with your plan. Your plan of sending Jesus Christ to the cross has saved my soul, and I celebrate that. 
I've been cleansed by your blood. I've been walked in and, and welcomed in by the brokenness of your body. That's what we say when we celebrate communion. And because that is what we are saying, if you cannot say that, don't take, but wait. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Rod, that seems kind of abrupt. Well, it is. But here's the other part of the pardon me. I don't want you to sit out there as an outsider to the work of communion. I want you to experience it as an insider. If you're sitting here today and you say, you know what? I, I don't just want to participate in taking the cup and juice. I can get that at home. But I do want all of what God has for me and what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And I don't know if I am that. If that's where you are, I assure you in a church like this that there are people around you who would love to pray with you. I am going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to just pray with people around you. And if you find yourself saying, I don't know if I know Jesus like that. I don't know if I should be taking communion. We want you to, but we want you to take of it the right way because you know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as people all over this room are praying with each other. I pray not only for the believer, I pray for the person in this room who finds themselves wondering if communion with you is for them. And I believe, Lord God, that by virtue of them being in this room, being in communion with you is for them. Lord God, I pray for that person who is holding up their plan and can't let go of it, that you would, you would make it a, Lord God, you would pry their plans out of their hands and that they would see their interruptions as now being your invitation to do life your way and on your terms and on your conditions. I pray, oh God, that by your grace, you're giving faith to the person that has fallen away, that you're giving faith to the person that has never known you, that you're giving faith to the person that knows you and has been anticipating you but has become apathetic to you. I pray that you're giving fresh faith, oh God, that these interruptions are just a, an invitation to come to know you more deeply. I pray, oh God, that for those of us that, are, that do know you, that this time would be sweet that we would relish communion with you and, and that the, the interruptions that we're currently facing would serve to reshape our foundations and to refocus our faith away from our agenda over to your agenda. Give us a right view of you through these divine interruptions. We thank you for the ultimate interruption of your son, Jesus Christ, invading time and history and putting those who would trust you on another trajectory because we were not headed toward you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're participating with us in communion today, I'd love to just kind of refocus us over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to pray for the cup. Can I uh, have a cup, please? working today, brother. <laughs> As the Lord gathered and um, met with his disciples, he defined for them the body. He said, this is my body, which is, has been broken for his disciples. 
And we're supposed to take it in remembrance of him. Let's give thanks for the body. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that your body was broken on our behalf. It was pierced for our benefit. It was bruised with our salvation in mind. It was a plan that we could never architect on our own. And we thank you for this plan, oh God. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me uh, the bread? The Bible also goes on to say that Jesus in the same way gave thanks for the cup and his blood symbolizes several promises that we have in scripture. Number one, we are protected from the wrath of God as we find ourselves in him. That he has also inked the new covenant in Jesus's blood, this brand new relationship and covenant that we have with him. The Bible also goes on to tells us that it is through the fellowship with Jesus's blood that we receive the cleansing of sin and purging from all unrighteousness. Let's give thanks for it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your shed blood. We pray, oh God, that you would deepen our understanding of what it means to take, deepen our appreciation of communion, and deepen, Lord God, our enjoyment of your plan. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's drink together. Just before we get ready to worship the Lord one more time, I just wanna put it out there on the table. The Bible says none of us sought after God. Salvation was not a plan that any man crafted for themselves, but it was God who has to radically interrupt us to open our eyes and make us aware of our need for Jesus. And so if you're here today and you did not know him or you do not know him, if you made a decision for Jesus kind of in that preamble to the communion, I'd love to have a conversation with you. And even if you sit out there and you're just kind of a little bit confused because you're like, man, there's a whole lot of church vocabulary going on. Would you, would you come see me? I'd love to talk with you more about what it means to have communion with the Lord and not just a cup. Amen. Let's worship him.